I'm happy to be here today. It's nice to get out of LA for a while. And it's really nice to be in Ventura. I'm going to speak about ending and beginning and the process. So just when you think it's about to end, that's the beginning. And you know what? The pandemic has really made that fact true and real. Because the variants keep coming. Just when one starts to subside, the new one starts. And now they're talking about a, a fourth booster for old people like me. And I'm going, okay, I'll take it. I'll get it. I still got some stuff I want to do. I don't want to die yet. Give me that booster. But what does Buddhism say about all of this? Buddhism says we're always in a state of becoming. There is no event. It is a process that never ends. So just when you think you're somebody, nobody starts again. And now we've got to be the next person and the next person. And we can use age. We can say, yeah, I was 10 and I was different. And then I was 20, and yeah, I was different. And then I was 30 and 40, and on and on and on. And each one of those decades, we were different people, you know? A lot of us had memorial services for the people we used to be. We wanted them to rest in peace. And now we're faced with the proposition of being in a world that's ever-changing as well. And this is the first day of spring. This is marvelous. And what a wonderful weather day it's been so far. They were talking about rain and cold. Of course, California cold is like 60. And, you know, and I'm going, oh, not the first day of spring. And I, I opened up the drapes to my little room at the meditation center, and there was sun just coming up about quarter to seven. And gathered beneath my window were the cats. And they were saying, it's time to eat. The sun's coming up. Come on, Kusala. I said, okay, I'll be down soon. So how does this work with the universe? Well, you know, I like theories. I like space theories especially. And so we have this sort of Big Bang theory about how it all started. They don't really talk about before the Big Bang, but they talk about the Big Bang, and it's expanding. It's still in movement. It's expanding. And everything within that expansion is also moving. And I'm going, wow, how cool is that? And we can take these giant telescopes and look back uh, a million light years, a million light years, and see how it used to be then. And that's the star the star that we see, you know, it's been dead for a million years, and yet now we can see it. We go, wow, how cool is that, you know? And then we come to Earth, and we have, in some places, four seasons, in some places, two seasons, you know? But even with fall and spring, in our little Zendo backyard, we have trees, and we have grass, and we have flowers, and, and during the fall... Everything started to die, you know, or it seemed to die. The leaves would shed 
be shed from the trees. The grass would turn a different color. All the cats would sort of get fatter and fluffier because they were getting ready for the winter months in Los Angeles. And I thought, yeah, this is so cool. We have a little fall, you know, in Southern California. It's not much, but you have to look carefully, but it's there. And now we have the first day of spring. Today, 12 hours of sun, 12 hours of darkness. You know, I'm going, wow, finally something's even. <laughs> Until tomorrow. And then it's not. You know, and then the next day and the next week and the next month, it's different again. We have a little more sun, a little less darkness. And we're going, wow, okay, cool. The leaves are starting to come back. Brilliant greens now, freshly born out of the limbs of trees. I'm going, oh, that's beautiful. And now the grass needs to be cut more often because it's growing faster. And the cats are shedding some of their fur and getting thinner for the summer months in Los Angeles. Going, okay, yeah. So it's always in a constant state of becoming something else. We can't ever walk in the same river twice, but we can never walk on the same earth twice either. Because every day it's a different earth. Even though it seems similar, and we have memories of yesterday, and it looks pretty much like today, but if you look carefully, it's not. It's not. It's different. But how about us now? Okay, human beings. Why do we keep changing? Why do we keep becoming something else? What's the deal? And do we have anything to say about it? Is it fate? Are we stuck? Has it been predestined that we're going to be this or that? Buddhism says absolutely not. You have a choice. You can change your life anytime you want to. Well, maybe not when you want to, but you can change it. Okay, so this is how it works, I think. This is, this is my interpretation of human evolution from a moral perspective. Okay, now, as Unitarians, you may not buy this completely, but let me get started with, there is no justice in the world. Okay. Now, you may understand that, and you may hope that one day we'll have justice in the world, but it's not decided by a divine lawgiver according to Buddhism. Buddhism says, no, that's not how it works. That's not the moral basis that we live by. We live by karma. Now, I've often thought justice is man-made karma that you know and it works much faster <laughs> you know everybody's really mad now because people aren't going to jail as fast as they used to where's the justice they say well karma you know it's karma might take some time but karma never forgets your zip code <laughs> you will have to pay those consequences eventually and maybe not even in this lifetime, maybe the next lifetime. Because karma can't work without rebirth. We need to have more than one lifetime. Because it's obvious that some people are really jerks and have a wonderful life. 
And some people are really wonderful and have a terrible life. So where's the karma in that? Where's the justice in that, if you will? And the Buddhists would say, well, wait till next lifetime. You'll see. They won't be born in Ventura. That's the good karma. (laughs) So, okay, so think about this, that our karma is created by what we think, what we say, and what we do. And everything we think, say, and do has a consequence. Okay? And because we're alive, we think a lot, we say a lot, and we do a lot. Okay, so this karma and consequence is the driving mechanism of the change in our life. That's the change in our life. We do something good, and we have a pleasant consequence. You go, wow, that is so cool. I feel good about today. It must be my past karma. The consequences have reached fruition, and I'm having a good day today. And then I take it for granted. And then the next day is just terrible. I can't find my car keys. Where is that can of cat food that I opened yesterday? I can smell it, but I can't find it. (laughs) You know, what am I going to do? So we can't get too comfortable because we're always becoming something or someone else, ultimately, all the time. Okay. Now, in Buddhism, we have something called the five precepts. The five precepts are the basis of our good karma, then they are, I will avoid taking life. I'll, I'll stop killing stuff. Okay, now this is difficult. We like to kill. It's true. All you need to do is watch the news, and humans are out there killing things. Other humans, but even more so, insects, fish. You know, I love this commercial about... Uh, I think it's an insurance commercial. And the guy saves a lot of money, so he bought a new boat so he can go fishing. Now, nothing against fishermen. Don't take this wrong. But he, went, he bought a new boat so he could go kill some fish. And that's how he liked to spend his off time, killing fish. I'm going, well, you know, I wonder if he ate them all or he just killed them. And he enjoyed the thrill of the chase and the capture and the death. Okay, now, if you're coming from a Buddhist perspective and you're following that first precept, you're probably not going to go fishing. You know? There are other things you can do. You can catch and release, but then you got to pull the hook out of the mouth and it's just, oh, yeah, yeah. How about just having a little koi pond in the backyard and look at the fish? Look at all the beautiful colors. Watch them swim. They've got no place to go and nothing to do. And yet, somehow, they're happy. Okay, how about those cockroaches? You hate those cockroaches. You don't want them in your kitchen. You clean and clean, and they still show up. What are you going to do? Don't call the exterminator. Don't have, you know, them come over and kill the cockroaches for you. They're still collective karma. You're going to be the benefit of some of those consequences. How about catch and release? You know, you get a bowl or a cup or a jar and you catch the guys and release them outside. 
you know? And, and some of them will get back in, but some of them won't. But you're not taking a life. You're spending just a little more time reflecting on the importance and the quality and the value of life rather than death. Rather than death. I was talking with Cecilia today, and I said, yesterday I did a memorial service, and, and this, this quote came to mind. I'll share it with you. Good health is simply the slowest way a human being can die. There we go. Exercise, vitamins, get plenty of sleep. It won't prevent you from dying, but you won't have to die as fast. Okay. Second precept, not to take what is not given. Don't steal stuff. Don't take stuff. Leave those catalytic converters alone. Man. Every day on the news, you know, the crews go out. You know, and they got things they cut and they take and they... Uh, okay, just leave other people's stuff alone. That's their responsibility. You don't want it. If you have stuff, you got to clean it, secure it, maybe even get insurance for it. Having a lot of stuff is a big problem. Don't take other people's stuff. Let them have the problem. Man. Number three, no sexual misconduct. You know, we have over 7 billion people. We have enough. We don't need any more. Just leave everybody alone. Enjoy the solitude of celibacy. Man, your life will be so simple and filled with happiness, you won't even be able to hold the excitement back. Going out this weekend? Yes, but I'm going out alone. <laughs> okay. Number four, speak skillfully. Don't tell lies. Don't create illusions for people. Don't steal their reality by giving something that's not real, and they buy into it, and now they don't know what's right or what's wrong or what's good or what's bad. Don't do that. Speak the truth if you can. And if the truth hurts, maybe you don't need to say anything at all. Noble silence. You know, just let it work itself out. You don't have to warn people that life sucks. They know it. You don't have to warn people about other people because they know those other people. And you're right and they're right. Just, you know, speak kindly speak with pleasant words, speak in a way that uplifts the situation and the people in it. That's, good. That's a good way to create karma in the world, speaking kindly. And last but not least, don't get high. Don't get high. I know it's legal in California. You can go to the little store with the green leaf, you know, get ready for the party tonight lose some brain cells, get that six-pack of beer, you know? Come on. We don't need to get high. Life is the biggest high you're ever going to have. It is amazing. It is one giant hallucination. You don't need to enhance it at all. 
And it's always changing. It's always becoming new and exciting because you never know what's going to happen next. Don't dull your senses and don't eat those damn potato chips. <laughs> when that hunger and thirst starts, it's hard to satisfy. Leave those drugs and drinks alone. Sobriety, reality, understanding the world, even in your own personal deluded way, is better than understanding the world when you're high. And if you went to UCLA and you got a master's degree and you drank too much, you lost everything you tried to get in school. You've become really stupid and dumb. Can't even hold a good conversation or make an appropriate sentence. UCLA graduate. Have you ever been around a bunch of drunk people and tried to listen to them? Oh, man. I had a friend, and she said to me during lunch, it's so nice to have an intelligent conversation. I miss that so much. And it is. Most of the conversations aren't necessarily intelligent. So I dumb them down even more. Okay. So those five precepts allow us to create karma in what we think, what we say, and what we do in a good way. So the Buddha said, you can tell if you have good karma or a good life by how much suffering you're experiencing. That's our reference point. We don't go by good and bad. You know, that's so arbitrary. You know what I mean? Last year, a good price for gas. And this year, a good price for gas. <laughs> Man. And that's in one year. And back in the 70s, some of you were around in the 70s, I can tell. We had an oil shortage. We changed the speed limit to 55. You, you bought gas with your license plate, odds and evens. You, you were in line and got 10 gallons, you know? And, and now, now you're just paying a whole lot of money, you know? Okay, so what is right today may not be right next week, next month, next year. Everything changes. We have lawmakers in Sacramento who decide for us at some level what is right and what is wrong. Okay. And then we have biblical interpretations of what is right and what is wrong. Okay. We have the five precepts in Buddhism, what is right and what is wrong. Okay. So what a Buddhist says is, a Buddhist would say, not right, not wrong. We would say skillful, unskillful. Skillful, less suffering. Unskillful, more suffering. Okay. So what would be skillful? Generosity, compassion, Wisdom, interpreting your experience in this world through those windows. What would be unskillful? It would be greed, hatred, and delusion. Delusion, no way, yes. You don't see the world the way it really is. Through nature and nurture, you have been created to see the world in a specific way so you can live with other people in a particular place on earth, territory, city, state, country. Okay, yeah, okay. 
And we think that, that that's normal, that everybody does it that way. And they don't, do they? Everybody has their own way of looking at things, and they don't know where that came from, necessarily. You know, maybe they were good in school. Maybe a lot of that came from school. Or maybe from the parents and family. Peer pressure. You know, you don't know. So, I hear music. I hear music. So, what, what I'm saying now is we have the world that's ever-changing. We're ever-changing. And one of the contributing factors to our change is karma and the consequence of our karma. So karma is what you do. The consequence is called the vipaka in Pali, canonical language of early Buddhism, cause and consequence. And this is like the motor. This just drives us, drives us. And you might say, well, finally, I get to die and I get rid of my karma. And I can just rest in peace for eternity. Not if you're a Buddhist. Just when you think it's about to end, it's really the beginning. So what happens to your karma? It migrates to the next lifetime. That's the only thing in Buddhism that migrates lifetime to lifetime. That's why we have rebirth. That's why not all consequences happen in one lifetime. Okay, so that karma starts again. And now you're the transformer. You're the karma generator. And you might start in Pacoima. You might start in South Central. You might start in Ventura, depending on past karma and many other factors. But along the way in this lifetime, through the choices you make, the thoughts, speech, and action you do in this lifetime, that leads you in a whole new way. You build your life. You're in charge. There are a bunch of people and circumstances helping you to build your life. But you are a main contributing factor of your life. And I know we don't want to take responsibility or have accountability. It's not my fault. I didn't mean to do it. They made me do it. It's their fault. Karma says, no, man, it's not their fault. You're the guy. It's your fault. And you're going to have to pay the consequences. You go, okay. What can, how bad can it be? Lifetimes, man. Lifetimes. <laughs> so, so when we think it's about to end, it's really starting. And this is the joy of life. Because we never know what's going to happen next. We think we do. We think we figured it out. We look back in the old days and say, well... It can't happen that way ever again, can it? You know? And, and you say, well, haven't we had enough wars? Yeah. I was born during the Korean War. I was drafted. Didn't have to go, but I was drafted during the Vietnam War. We've had a few wars since Vietnam. And now we have another one. And you think to yourself, well, can't we learn from our past mistakes? And apparently we can't. Apparently, we don't live long enough. Because just when we figured out that war is bad, we all die. And then the next generation comes up and says, hey, let's have a war. You know, let's be men and women and have a war. And then those folks realize that war is no good. 
but they die. And that knowledge is lost. And then the next generation has to regain the knowledge and use it in a skillful, wholesome way to create less suffering rather than more suffering. So what are the chances of that ever happening? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful only because it's probably better to be hopeful than not. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll figure it out one day. But the savior in all of this, if you will, is the change. Because every time it changes, we have a chance to do something different. 